Howdy folks, welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Amelson IV. Today we're talking with Grant O.G. Gerritsen of Chucky Sluggo, Infirmites, HR Solo Project, and other numerous bands. We talk about DC's punk rock scene, him being a roadie for Bad Brains, and an uncomfortably accurate impression of drummer and singer for The Mentors, El Duce. How's it looking on your end? Trying to uh, work and stay alive. Survive in these struggling, trifling times. Oh, yeah. So, last time I checked, it was due to the fires and everything out on the West Coast. The sky was looking a bit on the orange side. How's it looking out there now? Yeah, it's kind of orange. You know, like where I'm at is deep in Orange County, south, uh, you know, South California. So, the, I. I Right, but actually, out where I was with the mentors, there out in Riverside, we could they they had smoke on the mountain. You could see a fire that had been put out. It wow. was not too far from where their place was. I could see we could see it when we were on our way to the show. We could see smoke. Yikes! So, but uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not really affected by it that much here in Huntington Beach. We're seeing some orange, orangey-looking skies. Nothing like you see in those pictures, where wow. it looks like people are living on Mars or in hell or something. That's crazy. So, where are you from? Well, I was originally born in Texas, and I moved out of there when I was about four years old. I was born in Port Arthur, Texas, which is uh, my mom went to school with like Janis Joplin and Johnny Winter. Really? Yeah, she sung in the choir with Janis Joplin, and then her boyfriend played in the band with Johnny and Nicky Winter, and then uh, I uh, moved, or my dad worked for Mobile Oil, so we moved to New York City when I was about four or five, and then New York City, I guess they didn't think it was a good place uh, for them to live, so they moved, they, we were only in New York City briefly, about a year, and then we went to Connecticut, and my dad bought a couple houses, you know, built a couple houses. Or one house we moved into, lived there for a few years. I went to elementary school in Greenwich, Connecticut. And then he built a house in Silvermine, Norwalk, Connecticut, which is a real nice area. Hmm. And Norwalk is actually, uh, there's South Norwalk, which is actually like a ghetto kind of, too, where I would go there. Like, I was in the YMCA, I'd play basketball. And, you know, I had friends that were from that area. We always, I was always friends with multiracial people. I was friends with, uh, the, you know, like, I was always friends with, it seemed like I was friends with minorities more, always, when I was a kid, for some reason. I don't know why. Hmm. More than just regular white guys. Of course, I was friends with regular white dudes, but it always seems like I was friends with, you know, black dudes and Mexican guys and shit like that, you know, and then regular normal white guys ever since I was a little kid. And it might be because of the church we went to, probably because we're Baptists. Baptist, they were, my parents were Baptists, and that's like, you know, half, it's a mixed religion, there's a lot of uh, Mexican and black, and the, all, and then I told you my stepdad was the preacher at the church down there, and that's how I ended up in D.C., my stepdad was the preacher at the churches right there at 60 of Columbia, the four big churches, and uh, the one, and I didn't do too much church playing, I did when I was a kid, uh, in Connecticut, I did more than in D.C., you know, because by the time I moved to D.C., I was out of, stopped going to church, pretty much. But I did do some, I told you I played one time with Zip 
in church. My friend Zip, who is a regular, you know, I was telling you about Zip last time I talked to you. Zip the Uncanny was like this incredible black rock group from D.C. You know, so you were asking, you know, I kind of got lost, but you were asking where I was from. I ended up in D.C. after Connecticut, obviously, because I went to Virginia. We moved to Virginia because there's another mobile building in Virginia. <laughs> then I ended up in D.C., and that's where I ended up getting turned on to all this great music and punk rock and you know, I can remember going to school with like a uh, jacket said like Led Zeppelin, Judas Priest, and Black Sabbath, and my friends were like, "Heavy metal sucks, man. You gotta listen to punk rock and shit." You know, so all I had to secretly like listen to heavy metal, and so I, you know, I couldn't listen to none of my friends liked heavy metal. They all like punk rock, hardcore, and it was admittedly harder and faster. And there was a huge rift uh, 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 with that those scenes at first until Slayer and Metallica and all those bands came out. Right? Oh, yeah. Long hair and people started liking punk rock and hardcore and, and it went vice versa and the crowds mixed and the crossover scene happened and all that bullshit, whatever. All right, because right, I asked you earlier, but I was trying to figure out, because you, you're pretty much from all over D.C., right? Yeah, I've lived all everywhere in D.C. Northwest, Southeast, Northeast. Where'd you spend most of the time? I guess I haven't done too much time in Southwest. That's the only part I didn't hang out in much, but everywhere else. Okay. Cool. So, all right. So, okay. Those one story you told me about, is it true that you filled in on drums at a black church one time? At a what? All right. Years ago, I had this kind of, I noticed a while back that a lot of hardcore punk, right? You know, especially Bad Brains kind of stuff. I've always kind of noticed that it reminded me of like the praise break from, you know, like gospel music, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember you mentioned a while back that you actually, um, that you actually played, that you filled in on drums one time at, um, at a black church. Well, yeah, actually. I played, I played, like I was telling you, I, I bri- briefly was touching on it. All right, so Zip the Uncanny mm-hmm. was the guy that played in the, the, the all black rock group. It was called Zip the Uncanny that was, you know, rivaling Bad Brains, they just didn't get famous. They were as good live, if not better, than Bad Brains, and nobody just ever heard of them. Like Dave Grohl would say that that's his, the best band he ever saw live, and not Bad Brains. He says Zip the Uncanny was the best band he ever saw live, because their drummer was amazing, and then Zip was off the chain, and everybody in the band was just nuts, and it was they, they looked crazy looking. You know, the dudes had, the, the two guitar players had really long dreads, and uh, Zip is a cartoon character. He's like a muscular, stocky black dude that dresses up weird and shit, and wears tights and shit, and boots and chains. And he sings real high-pitched. Back then, he was singing high-pitched. He sounded like Jello Biafra. So the music kind of sounded like uh, Megadeth with Jello Biafra singing or something. It was crazy. It was badass. You know, it was Zip and Kenny was insane group. And that's and I was ended up in a band with him called The Evil Dead. And I played drums, and yeah, the dude, we played a couple shows, we only played three shows, and they were famous as shit for, people still talk about the, these shows that I played when I was a kid. People got Evil Dead tattooed on them that were at the show. Crazy shit, dude, it's like nuts. It was like, we didn't even put out a recording or anything. We were just so good live. We played with Nuclear Salt and like blew them off the stage. We played with Exploited everywhere. We played with Big Show. We only played three big shows. You know, we played Smokin'. And we killed it at that shit. And then we played with Nuclear Salt. Their first time in D.C. sold out show. We destroyed it. So that's Zip the Uncanny. And uh, he asked me that he was a church, you know, he became, he's always been in the 
very religious and going to church and playing drums in the choir and, and choir director, not the choir director, but playing drums for the choir. And so he invited me down there. So I met the whole choir and the choir director, you know, and did the prayer with them. And I didn't even come to, I was late. I didn't make the rehearsal, but I showed up and they were just soaked that I showed up, you know, and they prayed with me. And then it was like a Easter service, man. You're talking thousand people in the church packed. And I went up and played uh, in my friend Zip bass. That's why he wanted me to play drums because he's normally the drummer and he wanted to play bass on this song. Hmm. which was a lengthy song, you know, and the choir had it had breakdowns. And so I started playing. Sure enough, the choir started stepping like you see in the Blues Brothers or something like, you know, in a bat, like a black church in D.C., how they step and oh, yeah. line and sit and start clapping. They started doing that shit. And I was like, oh, shit, I started playing, getting off, you know. It was bad as shit. Nice. You know? Yeah, I wish I could have filmed that. I know that he recorded it or something, and I never, I don't think I ever heard it. But, uh, yeah, that was an amazing experience I'll never forget, you know. That was, you know, and I'd have to say I was more nervous doing that than I was ever at some sold-out concert for 10,000 drunk kids and shit, you know. I'm at church in front of a thousand fucking shit, you know. <laughs> that, you know that was, like, intimidating, yeah, especially because I didn't go to the practice or nothing. It was un unrehearsed. He gave me some music to listen to, and it, and it was gospel music, you know. So... I just had to put a simple beat down. That's all. Okay, so that's that's a pretty I cool story. I just had to groove. That's a really cool story, actually. You know, it's not. You know, I wish I would have been. I, you know what? I wish it would have been a fast song. It was a slow stepper. I wish it would have been like because I walk past those churches and you hear the motherfucking drummer playing straight hardcore beats. Yeah. You know, like like Fishbone got that shit. I know where they got that from from gospel music. Oh yeah. And. Uh, the, but the churches in D.C., man, all over the place, you would hear these drummers. Exactly. You know, and the crowd's going, and they're going off and shit. So, you know, me being a hardcore drummer, I would have killed it on some fast shit. I, I love to do some shit like that, you know. But, uh, yeah, no, it's cool. I did a slow groove, and it was easier. Slow grooves are simpler. But you also have to be, you know, when the slower, you have to be in con. Uh, you can't, you got to watch your timing. So for fast shit, it's actually easier for me to play because I don't have to watch my timing at all. I do fast shit, I can just play without even worrying. The slower it is, I got to concentrate on the time. So what was the DC music scene like, though? You know, when you were, when you were coming up in there, what was it like? Well, in the DC music scene, I was lucky enough to be part of the original punk rock scene. You know, that's yeah. how I know the bad brains. And that's how I was able to play. Like, I... By the time I started playing shows, the scene was ending. But I, you know, got to play with Scream. Nature was my first show, and that was 1987. And uh, but you know, I was going to shows since '83. So I was going to shows when I was 14. You know, as soon as I got into DC and started ripping and running on the streets, I was going to shows. You know, I think the first one I might have gone was Suicidal Tendencies. <laughs> it was the first club show I went to. Because that was the you know first band I really got hyped on. Because they kind of sounded metal a little bit, so I was like, oh, I gotta see these guys. And of course, we went and saw HR band, and that was explosive. We got the Bad Brains were broken up when I first started going to punk shows, but then '84, '85, uh, Bad Brains got back together, <coughs> and I went up to New York with their wives and shit, and uh, and a bunch of dudes from the DC scene, punk, St Stuart Cass and and uh, Skeeter. And, Kenny Dredd, 
all the dudes who played with HR, we all went and saw the Bad Brains play with the Crow Mags. And yeah, it was a, an amazing show, man. It was a world, and that's the best show I've probably ever seen in my life. Best scene I've ever seen Bad Brains play. That's the picture that's in Eye Against Eye where HR's flying through the air. That's from that show. You can actually see my profile, me and Charlie Davis standing by Dr. No in that crowd of fucking people, you know, you can just see the side of my, I know it's me because I know what the side of my head looks like, <laughs> but, uh, you can see my profile, so you can see my nose, it's distinct, Oh yeah. but anyway, um, I was 16 years old at that show, and that was the first time I seen Bad Brains, it was just incredible, you know, I, and of course, I'd seen HR Band a million times, and they were amazing as well, you know, like, the HR Band was different, uh, you know, different kind of music, kind of, but it was like same intense. They played hardcore as well. So for me, that was just as good as Bad Brains. But then when I saw what the real Bad Brains were like and how the crowd was going off and shit, you know, the HR band, that's one thing they didn't have. They didn't have the crowds that the Bad Brains had. You know, they, they, they played some sold-out shows, but by the time HR band was doing sold-out shows, they were playing more reggae and shit. Yeah. But uh, Bad Brains, you know, was just destroying it. And they also, it was cool about when I saw Bad Brains, they had come up with a new style of music. Because in 84, 85, you got to remember, they did uh, Eye Against Eye in 86. So this was them, when they took that break and broke up, they were writing that music. So when they came out at this concert, I was with David Byers when we were doing soundcheck. And we were, our, our mouths just dropped open. They were playing Reignition for the first time, you know, and saw all those songs from I Against I, we were like, oh, my God, this is some new shit, you know? And we knew that that was game-changing. And it pretty much, that's the best record that I've ever heard. That's one of my favorite albums of all time. Oh, yeah. It's I Against I. I think it's definitely, for sure, Bad Brings Best Album. It's not the one of the best albums anyone's ever done. Oh, yeah. You know, that's like, yeah. Uh, and it's not punk rock. It's not metal. It's some fusion music, you know? It's crazy. Oh, There's yeah. no reggae on it. It's you know, it's fucking badass. It's but it's not fast. It's it's not pop, but it sounds poppy. Yeah. It's not metal, but it sounds metal. It's not punk. It sounds punk. It's the best record ever made. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, it's got Ron James Main produced it. You know, so that's so that's what you know. When that was the game changer for me, and then I. Uh, was friends with all those guys, and I eventually ended up in playing, you know, in Chuck Sluggo a few years later uh, with Dave Byers. Because Dave Byers was uh, went to L.A. with HR and, and ended up staying there, didn't get his passport or something. And so he ended up in L.A., and but when he came back to L.A., he was disillusioned, and he was selling crack and becoming a gangster and shit. And I was like, man, you got to stop that. You're going to end up getting killed. You know, let's start another band. Let's do Chucky Sluggo, you know, because he'd already done the recording. He did two songs with Mark Smoot and Scott Garrett that played in the cult. So he had an amazing sounding demo, best guys that were around at the time. And uh, Chucky Sluggo's first demo was Smoking. And we played we played those songs for a while, and then we came up with our own shit, you know, that was even better. And then I wrote Nothing, and that was our hit. Nothing's the song that was definitely our standout, the best song we ever wrote. Got us a record contract and all that shit. If we would add more songs like Nothing and shit like that, and, you know, more of an image. You know, the sad thing about it is when Chucky Sluggo was coming, you know, doing really well, and it's also MTV, 
was running shit. And you have to have an image. And Chucky Slugger didn't have a look, really. You know? You know what I'm saying? It's oh, just yeah. like so. You know, I had to look the other. You know what I'm saying? Unfortunately, you know, like I, if everybody in the band would have looked like me, we would. If everybody had long hair and tattoos in the band and shit, we would have got signed or something. Or, or just if we would have been in a different area. You know, like DC is just a nowhereville. You know, like I'm just saying to become a real super group, to become real big, you have to have the image for MTV, and people don't like bands that look weird or anything like that. You know, it's got, it's got to have a certain look. So that's why I knew Chucky Plug I was never going to make it, like, huge. We didn't have an image. Yo, shot in the dark, but do you know a Rob Butanelli? Who? Do you know a guy by the name of Rob Butanelli? What is he? What is he? Who is he? What does he do? He was in a band called Scooter Trash. Oh, yeah, I know him. Yeah. Robbie Butanelli. Oh, but, oh Butanelli. Yeah. Oh, my bad. Yeah, because actually he, he jammed with my band Jenny's Techno for a couple of to- couple of times. Great dude. I was wondering yeah, if you... he's a cool. He's a chill dude. Like he's been oh. around forever playing drums and shit. Yeah, you know? great drummer. You know. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen him play in a fucking long ass time. You know, but he used to play. You know, we played shows together before when I was a kid. You know, I think he was in this band Parasite. I think he was in Parasite. That was friends of ours. And uh, that's the only band I remember. Yeah, Scooter Trash. Yeah, I remember that. We played play with them. I had this band called Gut Wrench. We fucking played with them, and God, we blew them off the stage so bad because Gut Wrench was me, Wino, and fucking Dale from uh, Asylum, and uh, Matt Ray from Scythian. It was like a super group. And uh, this dude, Dirty Dan, sang, and it was like Repo Man. We came out and we did some shit sound like Motorhead and Nirvana. You know, we came out, kicked some ass, and just did, like, a couple, another one of those bands, just a couple shows, you know. Had a stripper come out and dance and shit. In, in D.C. space, a lesbian bar, you know, so we did a lot of shit. Holy shit. We rocked, we rocked, it was a sold-out show, too. We rocked it, and there was Harleys out front and shit, you know, to see Wino and shit. It was cool. It was unusual. And that, I just remember, that's how I became, uh, suicide, I was friends with me, and he was just like, man, what'd I ever do to you? For you to do that to me, Grant. What I do to you to do that to me, man? <laughs> he was funny as shit. He's like, man, y'all kicked our ass, man. That shit ain't fair. He was going off like that and shit. <laughs> you know, for years. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Wait, <laughs> Wino from St. Vitus, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I played the band Wino briefly. Gut Rinse. Nice. So, uh, yeah, and we, we played the Scooter Trash. And, uh, unfortunately for them. <laughs> but hey. he wasn't the drummer, actually. There was some white dude playing drums, I remember. Really? What was... What was I don't know why he wasn't in the band. There was some white boy playing at the time. Maybe he quit. Hmm. But that white boy, he got tore up. And I wasn't even playing that great back then. I was all sloppy because I had been playing with the band. was just so raw, you know? <laughs> that was me. I hadn't been practicing. I Because like, I'd quit playing drums for a couple of years. And then they asked me to play. I was like, all right, sure. You know, it was out of chops, you know, because Matt was in the band. I played the Scythian. He's like, you want to play with me and Wino? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and so I was a little bit out of shape, you know, because I hadn't played in a couple of years. But that got me going again, I think, you know. Hmm. When did you start playing drums? Huh? When did you start playing drums? Oh, I've been playing since I was a kid, you know. Since 12, I don't know. Okay, cool. 
right. Um, is it cool to ask about uh, Sluggo's Re Sluggo's Revenge? Oh yeah, Sluggo's Revenge. Now that's uh, we we recorded some badass fucking music. It's fucking amazing. Some of the best shit I've ever done. Recorded at a queue in Virginia, and we redid one old Sluggo song that's already an amazing song, Mutation. And, uh, you know, we couldn't really do a better version of that, but we kind of just did, we just did our no, a newer version of it. So it's just as good as the old one. It's, it's, uh, so it's cool. It's a trip that we can still play that fast. So we did that, and, uh, yeah, the songs are real heavy, and I think they have commercial value because we have the singer, Seven, is amazing. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. The, can fucking sing his ass off. Oh, and, yeah. uh, we clicked as a band, too, to not just... Dude can be a good singer and doesn't mean anything. We, it, it, he fits with the band. So we got him going off. And, like, he came in the studio not knowing what we are about and, you know, fucking felt it. And, you know, had no lyrics written. We didn't know what he was going to do and fucking went off, you know, saying great. So he shocked us, you know. I knew he had it in him. That's why I brought him in. I knew that we needed somebody good. And I brought knowledge in, too, because knowledge used to sing backups with us. So knowledge played congas, and it was just a good vibe. So that's, you know, Sluggo's Revenge. It's just a guy from Chucky Sluggo without Dave Byers. And we got this new singer who's off the chain. And if, if this, you know, shit ever changes and I start coming back to D.C., we'll do some shows uh, at some point, you know, and whenever, you know. But the album needs to be put out. It's done. And uh, I even got Running Bear to make a funny-ass album cover with Mr. Bill because it's called Sluggo's Revenge. I oh, yeah. Guy, I got the guy Sluggo strangling Mr. Bill and shit, like sticking a knife into his throat or something, you know, slitting his throat. That's what I told Running Bear, like, make Sluggo. You know, so it's called Sluggo's Revenge and slitting Mr. Bill's throat. That's awesome. <laughs> so it's... It's a brutal album cover. You know the guys from Scream, right? Yeah, and Skeeter's a good friend of mine. Yeah, we share the same birthday. Dave Grohl's a friend of mine. And I used to be good friends with Pete and Franz. And I, I think I told you I talked to you last. I don't yeah. not very good friends with them anymore. But, you know, I wish them, was, you know, any success, all the success. I just don't hang out with them anymore. I don't talk, you know. I don't consider them buddies like I used to. But mm -hmm. uh, I still consider... Skeeter and Dave Grohl friends. Yeah. It was like, so what's Dave Grohl like on a personal level? Is he like the rocks uh, nice guy, or is he, what's he really oh, yeah, like? Yeah, uh, Dave Grohl, I'll tell you, is just like I'll give you a good example of Dave Grohl is like, no matter who he's talking to, every time I've walked, you know, it's like I could walk up to uh, see him, or no matter where he is, no matter who he's talking to, if he's with Mick Jagger, or whoever it is. He's going to stop and be like, Grant, and give me a hug. You know, he's going to stop talking to whoever the fuck it is and give me a hug. That's, a, you know, so that's why I consider him a friend. He's just that kind of guy. He's always been like that. And, yeah, he's, when he was in Nirvana, uh, I went, you know, like he was, um, you know, shit just blew up real quick for him. You know, like I didn't even get a chance to, uh, until even, like, after he did the Foo Fighters, I started going to his shows more. But when he was in uh, Nirvana, like, that was over quick. I went to the first Nirvana gig at 930 Club, and you know, I was backstage and everything, you know. We, we hung out with the guys, and 
and then the next time they played some arena, and then it was over, you know? And uh, I didn't go to their arena show. They played, like, the Capitol Center or whatever, and I didn't go to that one. But they, he came by my house right before it, and, uh, um, you know, and then they did a, we did a tour with Scream with Dave Grohl and Chucky Sluggo. We did a show at CBG with Dave Grohl. I forgot about I just forgot about that. I, it just reminded me. You reminded me about it. I guess Skeeter was in our band briefly. That's right. Skeeter was in Chucky Sluggo. I forgot. So Skeeter was in Chucky Sluggo, and I think that's why I got him in the band, because I wanted him to set up a show for us with Dave Grohl at, uh, at CBGB's. You know, that was part of my, you know, me and Skeeter were hanging out at the time doing a lot of coke and shit, you know. And, uh, so that was a, it wasn't a good time period, <laughs> like, you know. It was bad as far as, like, it, it probably fucked the band up, and, you know, it's never good. It probably ruined my playing for a while, but uh, we still were playing good for a while, and uh, uh, the uh, show was called, you know, cool. Our chance to, my only time I played CBGBs was with Dave Grohl, and uh, I remember I broke, his snare broke when he was playing it, and he got pissed at me. He was looking at me all pissed off because he let me use his shit, and then while he was playing right, right into the second song, his shit broke. He looked right at me when it broke, you know. <laughs> you told me you had a tattoo shop one time, a lot of really interesting... Oh, yeah, we had a tattoo shop down in Chinatown, and that was when uh, Dave Grohl came by there, and that's where John Joseph stayed with me when Harley ratted him out. So that place was uh, had a little famous story. It was I Street down in, uh, you know, there's no white people down in there. Me and my friend lived down there, and we lived with a gay guy from Play Black Dude from 930 Club, Lamont. It was the DJ, and uh, so I got in free to every show at 9.30 Club, the old 9.30 Club, uh, you know, so I met, like, every fucking band, even before Lamont, I lived with Lamont, I was doing that, because I played in bands, and I was friends with Jared, the original manager. People used to go to the old 9.30 Club and just say, I'm friends with Grant, and people would stamp them. <laughs> you know, like, uh, that's the kind of juice I had. Because I people were, I was friends with everybody that worked there, including the management. So you know, it was, it was a cool time period. That was, of course, you know, being a youngster in the city, and you know, uh, we had a good old time. You know, uh, we were being wild young boys down there in D.C. And then we got away with murder, compared to what these young bucks deal with now. You know, you know, they got video cameras. So you, we could have dealt. We were beating people up, running away, doing all kinds of shit. You know of all the cameras and shit. Everybody's got a cell phone. We, they'd be filming us all the time. You know, we were doing crazy shit, you know? You know, shit would get violent. Violence was part of our scene, you know? Especially being young, coming from the street, growing up, it's violent, you know? And violence was funny to us. You know, violence was how we survived. It's just, it's part of the scene. Now, we grew up, we grow out of that. You know, you get family and kids and shit like that, and you realize there's more to life. You got to be kind to people and try to help people, not fuck people up. But uh, when you're young and you're from the city and and you came up from uh, a broken home, that's violence is part of your life. All right. One thing I know about you, you know, is that you work with HR of Bad Brains fame, right? I worked with Bay Bad Brains for yeah for a long time, twenty years. Ten years I was working with HR in a solo band, and then I worked 
before that with a with bad brains another 10 years you know before that i was just bad brains ready for 10 years off and on so you're talking about 20 years of working with bad brains and even before that i used to play shows with earl i've been friends with earl you know very good friends with earl i was the drum tech that's how i got in with bad brains i was a drum tech that's how i became the drummer for earl i mean for hr i was earl's drum tech <coughs> eventually me and Earl had falling out and, you know because uh, it's hard to be friends with both those guys they're brothers and you know I used because I used to call up and give Earl shit a lot of times so because of how he treated HR I didn't like it yeah you know, and me and Earl were good friends and yeah it ended up affecting our relationship hmm. I got you I can see where I can have a bit of a conflict though so, all right, but I keep hearing this one rumor, you know, that John Joseph was also was also roadie for Bad Brains. Is that true, or that? Yeah, been... he was a roadie for Bad Brains. He definitely was. There's not it's not a rumor. It's a fact. It's documented. You can see the old videos with him running around on stage, just like me, pushing people off the stage and shit like that. You know, <laughs> he's a. Uh... You know, but he was friends with him. He was with him when they did the cassette, the Roar cassette. So he's one of the original roadies. So, you know, he HR was a big influence to John. And, you know, John base got the vegetarianism and everything from being around HR. And, and uh, you know, but I think HR got flipped out by John becoming a Krishna devotee. I think that, I don't think HR understood it back then. Because he, you know, him and John stopped being as close, you know, because they were really good friends. They were really tight. But HR's kind of like that. He'll be tight with somebody for a certain amount of time and, you know, on to the next one. <laughs> you know? he's a, he's a, he was like, you know, I was really tight with him for 10 years and he got married, you know. <laughs> that ended up, ended us, <laughs> ended my marriage to his ass. Yeah, and I'm glad he's got a wife, you know, because I can there's, you know, he needs a woman to wash his ass and take care of him and shit. You know, I would try to get him to clean his clothes and shit like that, and he wouldn't, you know. I'd be like, hey, Charlie, you want me to wash your clothes? And he'd, That's okay, son. Like, All right. <laughs> he's like, he'll wash him in the sink with some rubbing alcohol or something. You know? Well, I'll be like, you know, he, I'll say this for him. I, he would not take showers for weeks sometimes, but he wouldn't stink. Because he, he he was cleanly, like take a little bird baths and <laughs> route, really clean himself with alcohol and shit. And I think just when your your body gets used to not bathing a lot after a while and you don't smell as bad, you know. Thank God. But yeah, there was some crazy things on tour. Bad brains, you know, like uh, a lot of weird shit, you know, with dealing with HR, you know, because he obviously had some mental issues, you know, like he had one one time while we were on tour, he had some smelly shit in his bag. Like he, it was like, what the fuck is that? You know, he had the Earl had one of the other roadies. Thank God he didn't make me do it. He was like, yo, get that whatever his bag and throw that shit away, you know. And there was some bag. Of, we, I don't, we don't know what was in it. <laughs> it smelled like shit, you know. And uh, this is one real crazy story. I guess I can tell, you know, this because this is, I know, this is some story that only John Joseph, HR, I mean, I've never really told anybody this. This is crazy. 
John called me up ready to beat the shit out of HR. You know, that's what I'm saying. They used to be friends. Like, HR started dissing him and stuff. Like, you know, because hey, John used to call me up pissed off about shit HR was doing. And he said he went to a show. And uh, HR was like, yeah, John, man, come over, all guy. Like, you know, I got some, I got a present for you, man. I got some, I got my, some seed for you. Like, and John thought he had some seed. He thought he had some weed or something. Like, oh, all right, cool, man. <laughs> John used to smoke weed. He doesn't anymore. But he was trying. And this is about 20 years ago. Like, the 90s. This is in the 90s. And so John's like, you know, as I'm saying, me and John were real close. He'd call me up every day. You know, and he called me, and he's like, he called me up pissed off and shit. He's like, I'm going to fuck HR up. And he told me the story. And he said that uh, <laughs> HR was like, yeah, I got some seed for you. And he handed him a bag, and it was all fucking rubbers, used rubbers with sperm in them. And fucking John was like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> Holy shit. And uh, Dr. No was, like, shaking his head like, yeah, I don't blame you if you beat his ass, you know. <laughs> and... uh John was just like pissed off, you know. But he called me and told me about it. He never did nothing about it, of course. There's nothing he could have done. Like, Brad Wayne's about to go on stage. You can't beat up HR, you know. But uh, it's crazy. That's <laughs> kind of shitty HR would be doing. To, you know? And he said he would, he used to call him officer whenever he saw him. And John didn't like that. He's like, John, you, like John used to say, you know, why is he always, he's calling me officer. I don't like that shit. You know, and, and and I think they're cool now. You know, like after I started playing with HR, of course I'm, you know, because I'm good friends with John. I'd be like, how come you guys aren't friends with John anymore? You know, I made him patch things up a little bit, and I'd invite the Cro-Mags to our shows and vice versa. I'd bring, a, I brought HR to a Cro-Mag show. They flipped out. I brought HR to John and John and Mackie. Like, oh my God, Aiden's HR is there, and they were going to have him get. They actually called him up on stage to sing. <laughs> HR, that's when we left. Let's go. We ran up the back door right then. <laughs> They're like, hey, Charles, here. Come on up here and sing the right brigade or something. He's like, come on, let's go. He, wanted to, he didn't want to sing it. But he hung out with them the whole time. It's funny. You know, that's actually the second time I heard of HR doing that, uh, the seed thing, actually. All right. There was this artist by the name of Santee Gold or Santee White. She used both names, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I heard you. I know it's a female artist. Yeah, her. And what happened was he had, like, this bag of, you know, used tissues, actually, right? It was, like, the HR bag of sperm, and he wanted to repopulate the world with her. He gave it to her? Yes, and it was one of those, she didn't know what it was. She was like, what the fuck? Was this like a was this like a prank of his or something? <laughs> she didn't know how crazy he was. So it wasn't like a prank or a, like a, just a really crude gag. That was like just something he would do. Yeah, is she pretty? She was kind of cute. Well, yeah, he meant it. <laughs> that wasn't no prank. <laughs> Jesus, my seed go stick it in your vagina. You know. He's being crazy, you know, that's how he has fun. And then, like, I don't know that much about, like, schizophrenia, but I don't believe that he was really that schizophrenic. Like, I just believe that he's was part of his personality. Like, you know, like, like I, when I used to tell people, like, people would ask me if he's crazy and shit like that, I'd be like, yeah, of course he's fucking crazy. He's singing a punk band for fucking 30 years. What do you think? <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I was like, do you think normal people do backflips and land? You know, what the fuck? Normal, normal people don't do standing backflips to punk songs. He's definitely weird, you know? Uh, but you take that away from him, you want to medicate him, you're going to change him. I was saying that 20 years ago. You know, and, uh, and, and basically that's what's happened. And I gave his wife shit about it. I was like, what the fuck are you doing to my friend? Because I had him on tour. And uh, he was uh, out of it. You know, I was about to take him to the hospital. I was like, what are you doing to this guy? You know, hmm. I had him on tour. He couldn't even stay awake. And we played Jazz Fest. He was sleeping the whole time. And I was like, this is bullshit. You know, this is the worst he's ever been. And it's because of you. And she was like, I'm sorry. It's because I wanted to save our marriage. That's what the bitch told me, dude. Yikes. She did it to save their marriage. <sighs> so basically, she turned HR into some vegetable to save their marriage. You know, getting, cutting his brain open, doing brain surgery. It's all, you know, and I tried to stop it when they were giving him surgery, you know, but I, and, and then, and then I was like, I, of course, I was horrified. And then at the same token, I was like, well, maybe it'll help him. You know, if he's in pain, I know he would have terrible headaches, so hopefully it helped. But yeah. I know it didn't stop the headaches. He was getting the headaches still after the surgery, so it's not good. So he got unnecessary brain surgery. What did they do to him, you know? Shit. He still gets the headaches. That's what the surgery is for, to stop the headaches. The headaches, you know, and they get, and of course, like, they have some, oh, it's going to go on for a couple years more, and then it'll stop, whatever. You know, they're full of shit. They don't know what the fuck they're doing. They did experimental surgery. It was some experimental shit anyway that they'd never really done before for cluster headaches which HR was getting yeah cause I saw I saw um, or it was when Finding Joseph I um, premiered yeah, see, I, didn't, I have not seen that movie because that guy that made it is my enemy and he fucking teamed up with Lori to make the movie and Lori and that movie's a pro big pharma movie like they try to make HR look like they cured him and this is a lie. HR is not cured by any means. They try to make it look like he's all better. Another lie. You know what I'm saying? And they are promoting Big Pharma. Mm -hmm. It's garbage. And if you're someone that's uh, as someone, I wanted to make sure you put this out. Because if you're somebody that is having mental problems and you go see that movie, you're going to think that, oh, wow, man, I can just go to a psychiatrist and get some pills given me and I'll be all better. Nope, it's not the reality. But if you see that movie, you're going to think that they saved HR. They found HR, you know? Bullshit. It's total bullshit. It's misleading. And uh, uh, everybody knows uh, psychiatric medicine is bullshit. Everyone knows it. <laughs> it just turns you into a vegetable. And his wife was not. His wife was not willing to try CBD. I was willing to send him the CBDs and the, all that shit, and she wasn't willing to try it, just because she didn't want him doing anything with weed. You know, just another way to control him. And you know, she's a controlling bitch, dude. Let me tell you, because I know because HR would call me and leave the phone. He'd say, "All right, I'll talk to you later." Mr. B, and he wouldn't hang up the phone, and I'd, uh, he would do it on purpose, and he would, and, I, and I'd hear him yelling at him, because he'd say, all right, I gotta go now, okay, I'll talk to you later, and he wouldn't hang up on purpose, and he'd tilt the phone up, 
so I could hear everything his wife is saying to him. Whoa. And his wife would be yelling at him like a little kid. Some did feel off about the movie, actually, because there were certain things and there's certain people I didn't see in the movie, and you're one of them. I was trying to figure out, wait, why isn't Grant in here? Because yeah. I, I remember when we all started DC Hardcore LLC, the label and everything, someone like, wait, Grant's known HR for years, so how come he isn't in there? So They purposely took me out of it, you know, because the dude is a fucking dick. Understood. Piece of shit. Understood. Oh, yeah, I have text the guy sent me where he said that um, HR has no talent, that is the, the, the only reason that <laughs> that his movie is... The guy actually said that he, HR has no talent, my movie is the only thing that's going to make him famous. Wow. He said he, HR is washed up and all this shit. He's a total dick. Wow. And I sent it to Lori, and she said that I wrote it. You know, and I, it's so fucked up. Wow. You know? So it, it's like the it shit got so twisted. I, you know, that's why we met. when they HR was here with the movie. He was trying to get me to come. Like, hey, come come hang out. And I was like, no, nah, you can come over to my place if you want. I'm not going to that movie though. Did you really punch out Andy Dick? Yeah, I slapped Andy Dick in the face when I first came to L.A. Fucking Andy Dick fucking called me because my the old Bad Brains manager, Noel, was friends with him. So when I came into town, I called Noel, and I was staying at a, I was staying at a youth hostel. And uh, it was cool. It was like all these hot chicks there. I was like, fuck, man. I had a girlfriend after like two weeks, one week being there. Now, this is my first day, night, first night in L.A., dude. My friend calls. I call because I call as soon as I got in town. First or second night in L.A., I'm meeting me Andy Dick at the bar, and I went with two lesbian girls. One looked uh, like a boy, but she was kind of pretty, and then one was not as pretty, but it was had long hair. And uh, so he liked the one with the boy, and like you know, as soon as I got there, he, literally I'm hanging out with him, and within five minutes, he's grabbed my dick. He's grabbed everybody at the bar's dick. He's grabbed chicks' pussies and their tits. He's out of control. Whoa. You know, and he thought I was going to have coke for him. And I was like, I don't have any coke for you. And he did some shit. And I slapped him in the fucking face, you know. He Oh, he pulled his dick out on me in the bathroom. Whoa. Like, he, he was like, come to the bathroom with me. And I was like, okay. And he pulls his dick out. He's like, look at this. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like some shit that he would do. Yeah, he's – well, then when I – you know, he tried to get me, he was getting, he gave me his car keys and all this shit. And I was like, man, I, I thought about it. I was like, this guy goes to jail every fucking weekend. I'm not going to get arrested just coming into town. So I, I was like, wait right here. I'll get that. I was like, hold your keys. I'm going to go get you some Coke. And I just split, <laughs> you know, and ditched him. I didn't want to fucking deal with his ass, you know. And then when I got it, I went back to the, the girls and I went back to the hostel. And I was like, let's look on. Because I told him he was famous and like, Andy Dick, who's that? They didn't know. They're like, they're from France. They're like, who's Andy Dick? <laughs> so when we got back, we Googled him, and I was like, let's look up his his law, his uh, his uh, crime, uh, whatever rap sheet, and it was all like exposing yourself to minors. And I was like, man, thank God I didn't go with this guy, because I could just see he would have been yelling out the window, we have coke or whatever at cops. You know, I could just see him doing something insane. You know. Oh yeah, because <laughs> he gets arrested all the time. So that was yeah, that was pretty crazy. That just you know, it's pretty so much set the standard for me in L.A. As soon as I got here, hanging out with some movie star and slapping him in the face, 
first night here. And yeah, you know, it's pretty cool, you know, like uh, first few years out here, it was just pretty crazy, you know, I settled down after a while, but the first couple of years, first few years, I was going nuts, like, the, the doing all the rock star shit, you know, just uh, porno stars, all kinds of women, you know, dating, like, ten girls at the same time, and then I, I settled down, you know. Oh, yeah. You, like, I got married almost or something, you know, just chilled out, got a, one girlfriend and stopped doing all that shit. But yeah, I had some fun when I first got here. I had to do my little rock star thing, you know. Oh yeah, but of course, yeah. I was still young too, you know. Still like fucking uh, in my forties. <laughs> now I'm fifty something. I don't do cocaine or drink anymore. It's kind of like to go out in these bars and chase these women around. You kind of got to have that in you. You got to be able to drink and do a line of coke and shit like that, you know. And then I'm too old for that shit, you know. I don't mind fucking the girls, but. I can do without the other part. <laughs> you were playing on Hey Wello, right? So what were you playing on there? Okay, on that I played uh, most of the, uh, I played the, the, all the drums, and I played a lot, most of the guitar. And this guy, Jason Browning, played a lot of guitar, too. I say I did about 60%, he did 40%. And I had him play on certain songs because he sounded better, I thought. You know, and I was the man, and uh, I, it was my album, uh, and, and so uh, I played a more metal sound and shit, and I had him play on more rock and roll shit. He had a different sound. I had a crunch metal guitar sound, and he had a Les Paul, you know, full stack sound, you know, bluesy rock sound. So we got a cool couple guitar sounds. We got a good guitar sound on that. I used no amps, went to red. I don't think he did. I think we didn't use any amps at all in there. I think even Jason went direct. He just had a bluesier tone than me. Nice. And, uh, uh, but yeah, we used, uh, I had a real nice drum set, and uh, we spent time doing it. We recorded it in a few different phases. We uh, spent some money doing it, too. And we recorded with a famous, semi-famous producer guy, Dave Darnton. He was in the CNC Music Factory. He was a guy who played the keyboard, <laughs> the keyboard guitar with the mullet. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's Dave Darlington. Wow, I did not expect that. Wow, that was a... Yeah, that's who produced that album. Okay, well, yeah. So we spent some money at our producer, and then that was my idea, you know, to get us some... And I did, it did accumulate some money, but the thing is, we spent so much... Uh, on the other things besides the, you know, say we spent maybe 30000 or something what, recording it, but the other incidentals and shit, we spent 100000 in the hotel rooms and shit like that. You know, we went off, me and HR, you know, and it was the chick on the label was fault too because she had served, she had control of the money and she was buying us limousines everywhere and, you know, fancy Rich Carlton for two weeks. And, you know, and, and of course we weren't going to say no. <laughs> We're spending more money than you two and Led Zeppelin. You know, we're literally we're getting that kind of money as as arena rockers, and we're playing smaller gigs and shit like that. So it's like we're we're living the best lifestyle. You know, we don't we're doing whatever we want. You know, we're we're not living like you know those bands that we're making that money like bands Led Zeppelin and all that, but we weren't uh, playing the arenas. You know what I'm saying? We were playing like small clubs, but because I had such a wealthy record label, and we got paid, and it was the end of um, 
it was the end of the 90s or whatever, or end of the 2000s, you know, it was basically the end of the CDs. So it was the last, it was 2006. So the right now you could never get anybody to invest in music because of that. It's just not a way to, but back then, bands were making lots of money off CDs. So there's still people investing in music. So luckily I got some rich people to invest a lot of money in us. And, uh, you know, it just was a good experience to own a label and shit. I don't have anything to show for it except the memories, you know. Uh, I could have bought a house, you know, and actually, you know, it was my girlfriend. And she did give me a choice before I even played with HR. I was playing with somebody else. And she was like, do you want me to invest in your career? Or do you want me to buy you a house or something? And I said, no, nah, just invest in my career. I don't want a house, you know. And I made that choice. I probably should have taken the house, but then I would have just... I'd still been in D.C. I would have done, wouldn't have done none of this shit probably, you know. <laughs> you know, you never know, but it would be nice to have a house now instead of a fucking motorhome. <laughs> I got to work my motorhome starting to take a shit on me. I have to take it in for repairs, you know, it sucks. It's a car, you know, it's like a home. My home is a car, so if it stops running, I have to take it in to get it fixed and it's going to be expensive, I know, it's going to be a thousand dollars to get whatever it is done, you know, it's going to be, just because it's saying, hopefully it's not, but, I, this, you know, what I do, I have some friends out here that are mechanics, so maybe I'll have to talk to them, and, like, the mentors, they have a huge compound, I might move out there with them, but, you know, it's like, I don't want, I'll be stuck out there, you know, right now I live on the beach, I like living on the beach, <laughs> you know, if I get if I'm stuck out there, man, I'm never gonna get any pussy or nothing, man. It's gonna be bad. <laughs> it's gonna be like that's last that's last ditch, you know. If if the world's really come to end, then I'm gonna move out to the mentors compound, you know. Smart move. How'd you get connected with the mentors anyway? Um, they just called me up. The, uh, the uh, manager called me and said he needed me to play drums. Asked me if I would. He just said, I have a band. He's like, you're going to like who it is. He wouldn't tell me who it is at first. He's like, he's like, I got a band. He's like, I don't know why I didn't think of you sooner. You know, because I played with this other band, Lewis Idol. He manages Lewis Idol, this guy. And I've always, and I've been sending him little videos of me playing and shit. And, and uh, so, just so he would keep me in mind. And I told him to if he needed me to play in some other bands, I would. And uh, and I had just reached, sent him something. That That's what it was. I hadn't sent him anything for months. And he'd forgotten about me. And then I sent him another thing. And then he called me. He's like, dude, I can't believe I didn't think about you, man. He's like, I got the band for you or whatever. And something like that, you know. <laughs> and he's like, and then when he told me who it was, I was like, oh, God, I already know all those songs. <laughs> Nice so, uh, yeah, when he told me it was the mentors, of course, they were like my favorite band when I was like 18 or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody has a phase where the mentors are their favorite band. Shit, yeah. <laughs> you got to have a little woman-hating period where you like the mentors the best, you know? <laughs> I remember when um, R. Kelly was found, like, there was some weird R. Kelly case, right? So I played a, go I played a Golden Showers on guitar, you know? Yeah, yeah, for dedicated to R. Kelly, right? That'd be hilarious. Exactly. 
Yeah, you know? and that, that's basically what people don't, you know, people that get pissed off about it don't understand. This is comedy. We're not, the guys and women, like, you know, obviously I don't go around raping women. And the guy in the band, Steve, is one of the nicest guys. He's married. The other guy in the band is married. And even El Duce was chill. Now, Sicky Wife Beater is, I heard, is, he takes it a little serious. But he's not in the band anymore. You know, so, I mean, we, we might fuck with him. But I really don't want him to play with us because of the stories and shit I've heard. I really would rather. I like the guy we got now. He sounds killer. And, uh, but, you know, Steve thinks Sicky's the best guitar player in the world or whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah. I don't really think he's that good, you know. And I definitely don't want to deal with his drunk ass. Yikes. Yeah, he sounds like a nightmare. Like, you know, like Steve was telling me all these stories about, you know, because uh, I, I had me and Steve went, chilled out after the show. And we talked all night, you know, and I was, he was asking me questions and I was asking him shit. You know, we were, we were having a good old time staying up. We talked all night. We were supposed to go to sleep. We kept staying up talking to each other. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Trip. Yeah, Steve's a really nice guy. So it's comedy, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, you know, none of us would even do golden showers. Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, who does that? You know, like, even El Duce, like, he wasn't that, that bad, you know? Like, he, uh, I was talking to him about El Duce, and I told him about, well, uh, when I went out, when I used to hang out with El Duce, he would do this thing where he would keep, he would have a beer in his mouth, and then he would wing it. To throw his beer away, he would wing it out backwards over his head in his mouth still. He called it the Dalton Toss. And when I was with him, he did that shit, and it square hit some poser dude right upside the head at the bar. You know, boom! And I was like, that is the funniest shit I've ever seen, dude. I was like, you're awesome. <laughs> you know, and those other dudes, like, knocked unconscious. Some, like, long-haired dudes, like, laying bleeding on the ground and shit. <laughs> and I was like... And I told Steve that. He's like, yeah, I guess, you know, because Steve was just like, El Duce, he's chill. He wouldn't, you know, hurt anybody. And I, was, I told him about that. And I was, he was like, yeah, I guess El Duce could be dangerous to be around sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, he wouldn't be violent, but he could be dangerous to be around. <laughs> wait, wait, you knew El Duce? Oh, yeah, I was friends with El Duce. He stayed. At, all right, I'll tell you a couple cool El Duce stories that will be good. So sure. El Duce used to stay at my house in San Francisco when I was a kid. And he fucking, yeah, because I've lived everywhere. You know, I lived in D.C. and San Francisco, and I've known all these bands, and I used to sell pot and shit like that. So, like, I'd get, it, it, I, you know, I'd always hang out with bands and go to see cool shows and shit. And, and so I knew all, I've always been like that since I was a kid. I'd always hang out with groups and be backstage and shit like that. So I know all the bands, like punk bands and Ever since I was a kid, I've been like that because I always have pot. So I go back and say, "Hey, y'all, what's up, man? I'm Grant. Y'all want to smoke?" And they'd be like, "Yeah, hell yeah, always." And I'd hang out and meet the band. And if they didn't smoke pot, I'd be like, "Fuck you, then later." You know, <laughs> almost ninety percent of every band I went back, the only band that ever said there was an asshole was Testament. You know, they they do coke or something. And then a year later, they a few months later, they come out on high times. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, but yeah, so that's why I knew El Duce, and so El, but El Duce would uh, stay at my house somehow. He 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 showed up in San Francisco, and you know he was just like on the couch tour, and I was kind of like that too. But I had a place at this point, so El Duce, I brought him over, 
and my roommates I knew all knew, were fans, so they were like, cool. And uh, so I would go out drinking with him and shit, and he stayed in my room. So anyway, he told me, he's like, he said that they, he was somewhere uh, at a concert. Oh, Megadeth was playing, right? And he said, he's at Megadeth's show, and he said some girl is like, I want to meet Davidson so bad. Oh, I'd do anything. And yeah, Duce said, well, he's a good friend, a personal good friend of mine. I'll introduce you to him if you give me head. So he told me, like, you know, the chick gives him head and shit. And he's like, well, I'm a man of my word, Grant. So I took her backstage. <laughs> and I introduced her to Dave. And I said, Dave, this girl wanted to meet you so bad, she gave me head. And he said that Dave and the band were like, oh, my God, you sucked his dick. Ah! And they all laughed hysterically. The bitch ran out of the dressing room crying. <laughs> You sound just like him. Holy shit. Yeah, I'm good at doing an impression. I'm like, I might start singing eventually uh, backups. I told Steve I was going to do backups because I do a good impression of him. And then, uh, and then, um, and then, yeah, something else like he told me uh, that was funny. I thought he was signing autographs and he said Lita Ford came up to him and we're like, who the hell are you? And he said, well, I'm a Duce. You're the mentor. Who are you? (laughs) He acted like he didn't know her and shit. Who she was? <laughs> oh my god, that's the accuracy! Holy shit! Uh, yeah, because I remember this shit like it was yesterday. I was telling Steve about this, shit, and then it even tripped out. Steve even liked my El Duce stories, and he was he the best friends with El Duce. <laughs> he has pictures of El Duce all over his house, and you know he's been best. Grew up, you know they formed that band in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. That? yeah, yeah. They've been playing together since the seventies. That's crazy. I had no idea that they have some. They've got like ten albums too. Oh yeah. I thought they only had like three or four albums. They got like ten albums. They've got albums that he's been doing without El Duce, and so I got to get them. You know, I, my goal is to like you know make them sound killer. You know? Like whenever I'm in a band, I want to make them sound better, and I've already done that. Yes, so I you guess have. I guess we need to record or something. Yes, you all do. Because seriously, we, and the guy Steve. He has money, dude. Like I'm saying, they have a compound that has 10 acres, and he has another house in Riverside where him and his wife live. So they got money, dude. Steve has money. <laughs> yeah, so who is Steve exactly? He's Dr. Heathen Scum. He's the bass player. Oh, so that's him. Because I was trying to figure out, wait a minute, if Siki Wife Beater's out, then who's like... Because I was trying to figure this out. Because I was like, so there are no original members? I was trying to figure this out right here. I'm kind of fanboying right now. No, no, no. Steve's the original member. He's the original, original member. It's his band. And then him and El Duce, you know, and Siggy Whitebeard. But Steve's the guy singing and playing bass. El du- uh, what's his name? And ever since El Duce died, Steve's been the singer. Oh, okay. No, I know some other people came through on tour of mentors and played in D.C. And it, it was like, I haven't even told Steve this yet because it, I know he had nothing to do with it because he wasn't in the band. And, and I asked the guys when they played, I like, why are you guys, who are you in relation to mentors? The guy tried to say he was like his cousin or something like that. And I think it was just some dudes that just got together and decided they were going to be the mentors and tour, you know, and uh, on the East Coast, you know. Because these dudes are from L.A. And, uh, and and when I met these guys, Steve wasn't in part of it. Because I remember meeting these dudes. They were all a bunch of fat dudes. Steve's not a big fat guy. You know, so Steve's like a, a small white dude. 
has problems walking. He walks kind of funny, and he looks like a like someone's uncle. You know, like these guys all look like burly fat dudes. I all look kind of like El Duce or something. They played some little shit bar in, in D.C. and I went. And I was like, and I grilled him too after the show because I watched him. And I was like, I bet these motherfuckers ain't even where, I bet there's not one original guy in this stupid band. And they, they weren't, you know. And and I don't even think Steve knew about it. So there's probably shit like that going on all the time with all kinds of bands. Though, you know, Bands just steal their name and try to play shows. And they get away with it a little bit until they get caught. Now, the mentors, it's easy to do because they're wearing masks. And I did tell Steve about it. You know, I was like, I think people have plagiarized you because of the mask thing. And he's like, yeah, I know. Yeah, because when I was younger, I, was like, I thought the mentors were hilarious because the absurdity of it, though. Some of the song titles did just crack me up, you know. They, like, reminded me of, like, a punk rock version of Blowfly. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like, uh, yeah, and I was friends with this other guy that was in the band too. This guy, um, and he lived in D.C. And I asked Steve about him, and Steve said, "Yeah, he he did play because Steve couldn't tour for something, so this other dude played." And I was friends with this other guy that played in the Mentors. The bass player is really big, huge dude who died of an OD, I thought he died of an OD, and then Steve said he's still alive. I was like, what? Yeah, I thought the guy died. And, uh, I can't remember his name right now, but he was cool. He was a really good friend of mine. And that's, you know, like a lot of these guys I'm friends because they're selling pot. And, I, you know, because I've always been friends with bad brains, and people know that and think that's cool, too. Even before I played with them, I was good friends with the bad, like I said, Earl. I've been jamming with him since I was a kid. Like, I'd get up we used to get up and play sometimes at shows. Like me and Earl would go to concerts, and uh, sometimes motherfuckers would just, "Hey, you guys want to jam? Will you jam?" And Earl would be like, "Yeah." Let me. And I'd end up playing guitar, and Earl would play drums. You know, and that's that's how I started playing guitar with Earl, you know, basically by live concerts. My first live concerts guitar was with Earl. So he's the one that got me into it like playing and he's the one that took me on tour and like it's all Earl's fault that I'm a rock star yeah, and that's I'm, you know it sucks that we don't we're not as good as friends you know we, I'm sure he you know he knows I love him you know and he's just got his life of his own you know he, he's kind of a, a loner you know he doesn't he's not a crybaby or anything yeah uh, like I never hear much about Earl. Like I know yeah, he's well, he's quiet and like he's not not you know he's not a rock star kind of guy. Like I said, he's very humble. He works. He's always a workaholic. So his life is more important. Like his job is more important to him. You know, making money. He's got a house. So you know, and, and he knows Bad Brains' time is pretty much done. You know, like anything that they do now is it's here and there. You know, there's. there's and and he's getting old where it's, it's painful for him to tour. He's got a bad back and all this shit, you know. But uh, one thing I'll say about him is he is an incredible drummer and, like, you know, huge influence in my drumming. And one thing about him is he will, he can literally go months, you know, go years without practicing, and then, boom, a couple practices. He's got that muscle memory back and he's ready to, you know, he's killing it. You know, like me, if I, if I played that sparsely, I suck, you know. <laughs> but uh, he can go years without playing and, and still be incredible. 
you know I me mean? if I go like more than six months you know even more than a couple months without playing at all I start losing ability so that's why I set my set my drum set up in the car I went about a month without playing and then I bought this RV and I set the drums up in the back I ripped out the the bed in the back of the RV, so the drum set's set there now. So I could I could play drums right now if I wanted to, except it's late at night. Understood. Yo, speaking like I was thinking this right here. I've always there's one project I can actually see you working with this one guy. This is kind of in the recess of my mind, so to speak. But I don't know why, but I can always imagine you doing like a sequel to Sub Basement with Bobby Liebling. You know, you doing on instrumentation, him on vocals. Yeah, I'd like to record some metal shit with Bobby, you know, because I could do some killer doom metal shit, you know, record it, you know. I'm sure if I recorded some dope shit and sent it to him, he'd sing on it, you know. Yeah. I just have an, uh, you know, once I get my uh, studio going, like, my uncle's supposed to sell a house and give me a bunch of money. We'll see. He's supposed to get, if he gives me this $10,000, I'm going to invest it in uh, music equipment, you know, start, uh, get by, you know, spend it on recording equipment so I can do that kind of shit record some bomb ass shit you know because i got to take my shit to another level oh yeah I've, i I spent a thousand dollars on the shit that i recorded all that other shit you know all those videos and shit i made i spent about a thousand dollars on recording equipment you know, that's not shit you know so i want to try and spend some real money on it or, or go or just go into a real studio in fact that's what i might do is just spend money to go into a real studio instead of trying to buy this equipment it's going to be too expensive for me to buy uh just go record some songs in a big studio somewhere because my uncle's gonna give me 10 g's so i'll spend a few g's in a studio recording and make a record good idea you know yeah i think it'd be better than to buy the equipment because i want to make something sound really good oh yeah uh, but it would be nice to have my own studio that's really good, too. <laughs> so I'm torn between what I'm going to do. We'll see how much money. If I can get more than 10 Gs, if I can get, like, 20 together, then I'll buy my own shit. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Maybe I'll start a, go, start a GoFundMe or something, you know, to try to do it, start a record label or a recording studio hmm. and tell people that they can get free recording time that uh, donate money. That's a good idea. Yeah, okay, folks, we've barely scratched the surface on this episode regarding Grant Garrison, and we're going to have him back again in the future for some more wild rock and roll tales. Peace.
Howdy, folks. Welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Melson the Fourth. Today, <clears throat> howdy, folks. Welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Melson the Fourth. Today, we're talking with musician Ape. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Melson the Fourth. Today, we're talking with musician and Afropunk OG Orlando Greenhill. We're talking about his band Create, his various projects, and his appearance on the Pound Hole. I know what it sounds like, but it's not what you think. <sighs> hey. Great chatting with Orlando. Hey, great catching up with Orlando. Check out his projects. I don't know where to start with him. Seriously, look him up on Discogs and enjoy the rabbit hole. I mean, he's literally played from everybody from... I don't know where to start with that, dude. Anyway, check out Discogs and go down the rabbit hole. You will not be disappointed. Howdy folks, howdy folks, welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Amelis and the Fourth. On today's episode, we're chatting with wrestler Mr. Grimm. Grimm has appeared on WWE, AEW, and MLW. We chat about the business, differences between wrestling in Maryland and Tennessee, and some other pretty interesting topics. Enjoy. This episode was a bit shorter due to some tech issues, but I'd love to have Grimm on another episode in the future. <clears throat> 